I will watch Star Wars. <laughs> I won't watch episode nine, though, I'll tell you that. <laughs> For what it's worth, I think you could handle being the next Poe Dameron, okay? And I know everybody out there, oh, that one night in a row, blah, blah, blah. I don't, I don't want to hear it. Obi-Wan Kenobi. I wonder if, uh... I mean, old they Ben mean, Kenobi. Old... This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Let's bring in uh, a guy who wields a lightsaber of football knowledge. His name is Cam Meller, SB Nation football insider, joining us via Zoom on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Cam, welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. I, I appreciate the welcome, and again, uh, may the fourth be with you guys as well. <laughs> Let, let's talk about your setup. I like it. First off, you got the you got the Bucks logo, and you got the Seinfeld action figures behind you. That's that's some of the best setup we've seen so far. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I think I was telling you guys as well, It's I've got a leg up on the competition here in terms of the working from home. I've got the workflow down after uh, now four and a half years of working from home. So I didn't have to transition too much here. <laughs> you know, did just move. But, you know, at this point, I, I've got this working from home thing down pat. Is that the no soup for you guy back there? Oh, we got the soup Nazi Frank Costanza, Kramer, <laughs> Newman, David Putty, and then Jay Peterman. So all of the uh, <laughs> one of the main four, but you know the other guys are, are definitely the best of the uh, the one line characters there. And of course, uh, we were talking about Steve Young in the opening segment. He's one of the greatest Bucks of all time, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's it's Hall of Fame QB Central there in Tampa. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Brady. And are the others. Bucks going to the Super Bowl this year, Cam? Uh, if I mean, come on, the writing's on the wall that they do, and then they become the first team ever to host a Super Bowl. It's just, it's too good to not come true at this point. So, <laughs> as a believer and as a fan for 30 plus years now, yes, they're going to the Super Bowl. You just hope it's not the uh, NFL hospice with Gronk, and then you hope Brady's the same guy, right? Yeah, and, and I hope that one day maybe we can see J.J. Watt and Rob Gronkowski on the field at the same time. I swear they're the same person. Same injuries, <laughs> same body. It's like a massive elbow. I mean, come on, they're the same person, that's, right? That's true. That's true. Gronk is like a little less, you know, contained. <laughs> that's, that's awesome, man. Great stuff. Uh, while we have you here, let's focus on the BYU guys. We wish we had a BYU guy playing for Tampa Bay right now. Not the case, but who knows in the future, based on your top 10 returners for BYU in 2020, just maybe a few of those sneak into the NFL and end up in Central Florida. Uh, Cam, let's start at the top of your list with Brady Christensen. Why was Brady Christensen the number one guy on your top 10 returnees for BYU? I think he's a guy, he does it all. You know, if, if you have one minor small point then, that he doesn't do well, it's run blocking. But that doesn't matter for me at left tackle. You have to be able to block and block very well. He did it against those first four opponents last year, and I think he was absolutely excellent. His best game of his entire career was against Washington, and that entire defensive front just stymied by him. He is, he is awesome in pass protection, and it's just it's an underrated critical point of an offense. You have to have a left tackle that can block for your right-handed quarterback and Wilson never has to look behind him because he knows Christensen got him. Yeah, and if he performs at the same level, he could perhaps come out and be first-round, second-round kind of guy. What do you think? I think day one, absolutely, if this year looks like last year, and then if not, I mean, by far, if he gets out of day two, this is a crazy sort of thing in the draft. Mm. Wow. Okay, so with Christensen uh, receiving that type of high praise, uh, I want to talk about who he's protecting. You mentioned Zach Wilson. You have him at number two. Uh, Zach had some questionable things happen last year, decision-making, but you told us earlier that a lot of those interceptions weren't necessarily all on Zach. So why do you like Zach Wilson at number two? 
I just like the decision making when he's on his game, when he is actually making those right decisions, they're better than the majority of quarterbacks in college football that are returning this year. I think Zach's got the, he's got the arm strength, the the athleticism, the pocket ability, and he can maneuver and find space around uh, in those tiny little gaps that may happen against some talented pass rushers. I think it was the hardest stretch of any team last year to open the season like they did. So I, you, you get those out of your out of the way and you look at what he did down the stretch. And that's really the Zach Wilson that I think, uh, you know, once he's back and once he's healthy, I think that's the Zach Wilson you get this year as well. But I just think what he does from a quarterback standpoint in terms of the in-structure play, the decisions, he had over 10 passes dropped when he was kept clean in that pocket. So, I mean, a lot of his – the yards that were left on the table were not his fault at all for, at the most part last year. I think he's just – he does everything that you want to do and he does it very well as a quarterback. Yeah, I'd love to see a full season – uh, unfettered. Uh, he finally isn't recovering from a offseason shoulder surgery or anything like that, right? Um, that'd be awesome, knowing he's the guy and being an upperclassman. Okay, snapping the ball to him is James Empey. He he gets a lot of love up at number three. You were you used to be at Pro Football Focus, and maybe this was you, but a lot of love uh, from PFF as well for James Empey, the center. And it's hard to quantify how good an offensive lineman is. So tell us how good he is. Yeah, that's uh, those are my my PFF days. Uh, you know, 2019 was my last season there, so all those grades and everything there, I you know, have a, a, a bit of an influence on there for sure. But uh, everything that you would want a center to do as well. I mean, it's it's got to be one of the more underrated and more difficult positions to play in, in in all of team sports. You have to focus on getting the ball where it needs to go, while also you're knowing you're about to be smashed by a 330 pound man coming at you full force. So, what MP does, he's a mauler in the run game. I think he's solid in pass protection, but interior pressure is so much more valuable than edge pressure. And so for him to be able to be solid in pass protection, that's what his next level ability is as well. And I think he's a solid guy at center that goes on to the next level too. Cam Miller of SB Nation with us on BYU Sports Nation. We're looking at the top 10 BYU returners in 2020. You have Matt Bushman at number four. A lot of BYU fans are saying, why isn't Matt Bushman number one? Isn't he the most sure thing NFL prospect that the Cougars bring back? Why do you have Bushman at four? And what do you think of his NFL potential? I think he's definitely, he's up there day two, day three guy right now. I think he's utilized wrong in the offense. And we were just talking about this as well off, off camera and he's utilized incorrectly. You got to get him to pit hit to his strengths. This is a receiver at tight end and a giant tight end body. Don't worry about him run blocking. Gone are the days that you need to do all three at tight end. This is a receiver. Get him in space. Get him the ball with, with the ball in his hands and let him make guys miss truck defenders. I think that's what he needs to do is he needs to, you know, for, for me to have more value and put him at number one, he would have to be that kind of guy that's seeing 100 targets in the passing game a year. Mm, and he had no drops. So why not throw the ball to this yeah, man? Exactly. Right? Yeah. Get it to him five yards down the field. I don't care how you do. Get it to him in the screen game. Just get him the ball. Mm. Number five, somewhat of a surprise here, uh, Peyton Wilgar, former walk-on who became a, a, a starter on this team at linebacker. Uh, why do you have him at number five? So Wilgar flies around the field, obviously. I don't have to tell you guys this, but what he does best is coverage. So if he And he's also a sure tackler, which is obviously very important for any sort of defensive player, but his coverage ability, I think, to roam the middle of the field. He was running some of those routes in the flats last year. Some of those interceptions that he made were just not because of he was in the right place. He got himself to the right place at the right time. So I love his upside for at least two more years. You have him over the likes of fellow linebackers Isaiah Kafusi and Kavika Fanua. Is it solely because of his coverage ability and he's better at it than those guys? Yes. Coverage there and then the sure tackling ability. I think Kafusi is probably right on that same level. Uh, as Wilgar for coverage, but I think the fact that Wilgar does not miss as many tackles as Kafusi did last year, I think that's really where 
the, it, it was kind of splitting hairs and I'm going to go with age uh, and to do that as a, as a younger guy. That's why Wilgar gets the, the leg up there. So Wilgar, Kafusi, Fonua, five, six, seven at eight. You have Lopini Katoa, uh, one of the incumbent running backs this year. And, and to be clear on this list, you didn't include any newcomers per se, like Devonte Henry Cole from Utah, right? Correct. It was, uh, I did all 130 teams. So it took me about four months to do all the, all the film. Study oh my and, goodness. Um, last year. So yeah, I did all 130. So I couldn't keep track of all the transfers. That was just a little too much for me. I almost did, but at this point doing that, not, not enough firm information. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's return, returning players that I had data on and, and, you know, film that I could get to from last year on that team. So what do you see from Lopini Cato, but that puts him in the top 10? I just think again, there's, there's the ability to do more things than just one at a position. I love positional versatility. So if you can get the ball to him in the screen game or the passing game, that's what gives him the leg up. He's, he's a difficult guy to tackle, uh, not only with some short area quickness, but also some burst uh, through the tackle point. So I like him as uh, sort of a lead man at the running back spot. Those that follow BYU football closely are asking themselves, why haven't they mentioned Kyrus Tonga yet? You have him at number 10. Why is Kyrus Tonga not higher on your list? It's the it's the probably the biggest thing I had to answer. Not only not not why Bushman was down, not why Christensen was one, not why MP wasn't one or Wilson was up there so high. It was why is Tonga ten? You have to be a three down player. You have to be able to do everything on the interior of the defensive line. I said it a little bit ago too. Interior pressure is significantly more valuable because it upsets the entire offense or the opposing offense. So for Tonga, he needs to add a pass rushing element. I know he's got a sack or two here and there. And he's got a couple of hits on the quarterback. But what he has to do is he has to add this value as an interior pass rusher. I love his run-stopping ability and the sure tackling that he's got on running backs. But you have to be able to get after the quarterback from the interior if you want to be a guy that's in the top ten on your team. And you had Chaz Ayu at nine, uh, a guy that made a couple of plays that were pretty impressive, notably uh, Toledo. BYU's about to lose the game, but he strips the ball uh, and, and recovers it at the same time. Unfortunately, BYU throws a pick the next play, but uh, that was a heck of a play. Yeah, so I like what he does as well in coverage. So another thing there, but there were too many plays that he left on the table for me to get him any higher than where he was in terms of uh, you know missing some tackles. But the, some of those highlight real plays were basically all you have from him. So I'd like to see, again, sort of this down-to-down consistency. So Cam, looking at this list and with keeping in mind that BYU didn't have a draft pick this last draft, how many guys do you think legitimately could be playing in the NFL and are draft picks on this list right now? So there are probably about half of those guys. And I have no, no issue saying that Christensen and, and Bushman are first-round caliber, might slip into the day two realm because of lack of power five footage. I guess you could maybe look at some of the scouting departments don't go out there and care about what you do against Idaho State or UMass. Whoa, whoa, so, whoa, what? I, I do. <laughs> I love that. I, lo- I love that. Because then you get to see the decisions fly. That, you get to see Zach Wilson being Zach Wilson. Uh, against UMass and Idaho State. But I think MP as well as a day two sort of guy. I think Zach Wilson also clean bill of health in a full season. Um, maybe not even this year. Maybe we get another year of Zach Wilson too. So uh, and I think Wilgar eventually and then Tonka, obviously just the big man in the middle. So I think those five are, are probably your for sure guys that are going to go. Great stuff, Cam. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, stay safe. And I'm sure we'll be talking to you again soon. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, Cam Meller, SB Nation football insider on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why, we show how. He knows his stuff. Like, we bring on national people, and sometimes they don't say the names correctly. We give them a little pass, or they just don't know the details. This guy's actually watched a bunch of film, and, like, 
more film than us. You know what I mean? Like, he digs into that, which is super cool. And uh, interesting to have him put Kairos Tonga so down, so low. That's the thing we've heard, right? Kairos needs to climb up into a three-down line kind and of guy. Zach Wilson at number two. That, I, and that's good news. I like, he's high on Zach Wilson, right? That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Our Deep Loop today features one of the BYU basketball stars, T.J. Haas. And what a month of February he went through, Jason. His life changed so much, and I'm not talking just about a buzzer beater. This is Deep Blue with T.J. Haas. I started playing, and you know, ever since I can remember that I could hold a ball, I, I, I started playing basketball. I really started getting competitive in first grade. And that's when we started traveling and things like that. I remember going to Florida in first grade and playing in a tournament then, which was really fun and just kind of starting things off at a young age. And, you know, I've been playing basketball ever since. Too strong. Outlet to Hawes. Will they throw it down? Yes! You talk about TJ Hawes, and in a lot of ways, he embodies the word relentless. He's been here for four years, and he's had incredible successes, taken a ton of criticism from people, and he's also been lifted up as one of the best players in this league for four consecutive years. The thing about TJ, he keeps coming back every single day with an extraordinary effort, and his body of work is incredible. Think about it. Four-time all-league player, top 10 all-time scoring, top 10 all-time assists, top five all-time three points made. His records go on and on and on. And all of it this year is being culminated in this extraordinary senior year he's having. Off the court, he looks like he could be a professor here right at BYU. But he's got a certain demeanor about him that demands respect, both off the court as well as on the court. Really makes him a special person. This is going to be the diaper bag. That will be mine, and then you can grab a backpack. I'm not going to do homework. (laughs) There's not a chance. Lauren and I met at a school dance. It was my sophomore year in high school, and we didn't go with each other. Our whole group was just hanging out at someone's house. There was a fire going on, and and we started talking then, and then... We just became friends, and we started texting and hanging out. I thought he was super charming, super cute, really fun and funny to hang out with. And then we both uh, left on missions on the exact same day. And that was a really cool experience for us to kind of, you know, see each other grow, uh, especially, you know, starting at that same point. And then we got home and we got married six months later and now we're having a baby, so. <laughs> so we're all good in here? Everything's set? Yeah, I think so. We have a hundred blankets. We have a hundred blankets and a crib that he won't use for a while. So it's perfect. TJ's life right now is beautiful because he has pressure coming from so many different directions. He's got his current basketball career. He's got his future basketball career. He's got his academic pressures. And then he's got his family. He's about to welcome in his third member of his family in a matter of hours. BYU plays St. Mary's on Saturday at 8 p.m. They're going to win that game. And then we are literally leaving straight from the Marriott Center 
our bags are packed, our car will be packed, and we are going to head to the hospital to have our baby. It's going to be a day that, that we'll never forget for sure. It's packed. Let's do this thing. Okay. Okay, I got to roll. Coulson on the sideline into Haas. TJ Selyus, handoff, Coulson, 25 feet away, right side to TJ, left side, down to 10. TJ, pull up three. He got it! He got it! Go three! TJ Haas scores it! Okay, sweetie. See you tomorrow. Okay. okay. Love you. Am I driving? Yeah. <laughs> We're just here to check in at labor delivery. This has been, it's been a crazy time for me as well because my grandpa's not doing well. Grandpa Ralph is one of the best guys I've ever met. He is so genuine, he's sweet, he is funny and fun, and he loves basketball. And he loves TJ. Basketball has really brought them together. And I think it's really hard when someone so close in your life gets sick and you know that their time is coming to a close it's so hard because you just want to be with them forever if you ask anybody here at BYU he's he's been at every single practice he loves the game and he's he's always around and it's been super hard for me to see him slow down and I, I feel like it's really reminded me the important things in life and there's more to life than, than basketball it's relationships, it's family. Those are the things that last forever. Our little boy, he's gonna be, he's gonna be named after, after Grandpa Ralph. I think it will be really great to have a name where you can look back and have such a good example and someone to always kind of lean on. He was born at 6.12 p.m. and he is six pounds, 15 ounces, and 21 inches long. As he grows older, I hope he knows and feels how much his parents love him and how important family is in life and that he can make those relationships a priority and that, you know, when it's time for him to move out of the house that he knows what he wants and, he, and he's seen that in his life. This is baby Tyson Ralph Haas. What a great story. T.J. Haas and uh, his son, Tyson Ralph Haas. 
Uh, his grandfather, Ralph, a huge part of the BYU Athletic Department program supporter, has since passed. Um, but what a great way to honor him by uh, naming his firstborn son with uh, the middle name of his grandfather. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic piece. And when you think back on T.J. Haas's career, obviously you're, you're going to remember the big shots. And he had multiple big shots, huge shots just this season. But one of the things that I will always remember about him is his durability and the fact that he was an Ironman. He was out there every night, regardless of the situation. And that's, that's one of the things that, that I admire the most about TJ Haas was his ability to just be out there every single night and give it everything he had. In my mind, he took BYU to the NCAA tournament. I know it didn't happen. Right. But he was a huge part of getting the Cougars back in that conversation. Without question. No doubt about it. All right, Teej. Hope you're watching, man. <laughs> Hope you're well. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. We spoke with SB Nation's Cam Miller about his top 10 returnees for BYU football this upcoming season. He's got Brady Christensen, number one, Zach Wilson, number two, and Kairos Tonga all the way down at number 10. Jerem, how does your top 10 list shake out compared to Cam's? First off, Cam's is good, but mind tricks don't work on me. So number one, I agree, Brady Christensen, okay? He's the number one pro prospect from BYU. He's the highest rated according to Power Fo- uh, Pro Football Focus. I mean, like in 1980, it'd be hard for us to like put a lineman in there, but we have different metrics now, which is awesome. Okay, number two, James Empey. I, I put Ooh. James Empey as the second best player returner on BYU's team. Three, Matt Bushman. I put Kyrus Tonga at four. I put him up much higher. Um, and there's some validity to what Cam's saying. He's got to become a three-down lineman. But when Kyrus Tonga takes over a game, it's so dominant. It's hard not to put him in the top five, right? I have Zach Wilson fifth. He's got to be in the top five. I think Zach, win healthy. Uh, when he can grip the ball, like we've talked about, he is a tremendous player on this team. If <laughs> he's not, great when he can grip the ball. Yeah. If not the best player, like he can be the best player on this team. Six, Isaiah Kafusi. I love Isaiah. I just I think Isaiah is one of the best character guys on the team. I think he's a leader. I think he's a tremendous player. Kavik Fonua was really solid, led the team in tackles, had an interception last year that was timely against Tennessee. Uh, Lopini Katoa, I put at eight, which is the same spot as Cam. I think you got to have uh, you know uh, a quote unquote skill position player. Not that the linemen are unskilled. Mark Schlereth went off about that over the weekend. Uh, number nine, Chaz Ayu. I think Chaz is a really good player. I think he's only going to get better as a junior. And then uh, number ten, I have Tristan Hodge. I think Tristan Hodge is off the radar of a lot of people, but I think he's a tremendous uh, guard that has a chance at the NFL after uh, next season. Now, one stark difference that I noticed between you and Cam is you don't have Peyton Wilgar, and neither I, do I. I d- yeah, I, I thought Peyton had a really good season. Um, he's on the fringe of being in the top ten. I mean, you could put a lot of those young linebackers in there. Peyton Wilgar had two notable interceptions. Keaton Slovis, the layout, Sky Cam, uh, that was in our, uh, you know, you'll see in our play-by-replay. He led uh, BYU in interceptions last year. With what, two, three? Three. three. Uh, Jordan Love, first-round quarterback, uh, picked off at Utah State, and then I can't remember the third. But those were notable. Yeah, no, I feel you on uh, Peyton Wilgar. I don't think he's top ten right now, but... I think uh, going into next year, he will be. He's right there. Yeah, he's right there. He's just outside my top 10. Okay, my top 10 features 
the great Matt Bushman at number one. I feel like I am with Cam. If BYU utilized Matt Bushman like John Beck and Robert and I and BYU 2006 utilized Johnny Harleen and the 2009 and 2008 offenses utilized Dennis Pitta. Yeah, Matt, didn't, De- Dennis didn't block anybody. Matt Bushman would be number one. I think he should be number one. The only person that Dennis tries to block is me. That's the only person he's ever tried to block. And he's, yeah, probably, he's probably done so successfully on social media. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Is he on Twitter? Okay. So I got Matt Bushman at number one. If he is in the Dennis Pitta, Johnny Harleen role, he's the number one guy for me. Right now he's a projected second-round pick, uh, at least according to one source we reported last week, to the Dallas Cowboys. Cam Miller just How about us, some Cowboys? Cam Miller just told us he's a day one uh, talent, talent yeah, yeah. but probably a day two guy. Yeah. Okay. That'd be great. Brady Christensen is right there with him. Yeah. Uh, Brady Christensen is the real deal on the offensive line, as is James Empey. How great is it that BYU is going to have two guys drafted off of the offensive line sometime in the next two years? Oh, we hope, right? Brady I, for sure. I hope James as well. Amazing. Like it's, When's the last time BYU even put an offensive lineman into the NFL, whether they were drafted or not? Was it DeAndre Wesley? Yeah. Has it been he, that he was, long? He was an uh, undrafted free agent. I think that Dallas Reynolds was the last drafted, drafted offensive lineman. Off the top of my it's head. been more than a decade. It's that been, is crazy. Been a minute. Zach Wilson at number four. Kairos Tonga at number five. I think Kairos is too low on Cam's list. Uh, hopefully the challenge has been heard by Kairos. He can stay on the field. I'm hearing it every year. Let's more. go, baby. Let's go. Quarantine's probably not helping that situation. It ain't helping my stomach. Isaiah Kafusi at number six, and I got Zane Anderson at number seven, Jeremy. Oh, I, I, you know what? I completely forgot about I Zane. I'm going to be honest. Love Zane Anderson. Zane's Zane's in my top ten. Sorry, I just forgot about Zane. You know, you know who else should be on here that isn't like sh- needs to be Troy Warner. Uh, he, Troy is uh, one of my honorable mentions. He needs to be on this list, and I think he is uber talented. Here's the thing with Troy: I need more picks. Like Troy is a good defender, pass breakup. I need him to catch the ball. In the air. And he will this year multiple times. At Hawaii, he dropped one inside the red zone that cost BYU a touchdown in a close game, right? I think Troy is a tremendous player that will have a breakout senior season, okay. second senior season. All right. he, he's coming off an injury. Da, da, da. He needs more picks. Yeah, Zane Anderson, I totally forgot about. Good kid. Sorry. I, he should be like sixth. He might be the fifth. fastest guy on the team. He's super smart. I think he has real potential if he can just stay healthy to – get onto a practice squad, be a special teams guy in the NFL. I think he has that type of speed and talent. Yeah. But his health has been a huge issue. Which, by the way, Austin Lee, still not signed. Just unbelievable. No, and I can't believe some it. Some of you are saying, well, Zane's too old. Zane's only 23. He didn't go on a mission. Zane's only so 23. He's, yeah, he's 23. He's not. No. Yeah, I, I like, like him a lot. The NBA, if you're a four-year guy, like you're not that good. You know what I mean? Four-year guys to the NBA? Football's different. It's totally different. You have well, for one thing, the rule is you have to st- <laughs> three years after high school, yes. right? So, so you have to be at least twenty one. So Johnny Menzel, what doesn't he come out after his uh, redshirt sophomore year? He, he did the three year minimum, didn't he? Yeah. I thought he said two years Texas A M. Boom, he goes. Worked out well. And what him. a career it was. Worked out well for him. Wait, what? Chaz Ayu also in my list. I love Chaz's physicality. I think he's just a baller. He's a gamer. Like if there's somebody that's going to replace what Diane Gawoliku did, I think Chaz Ayu is the guy to do. He's got he's got the the tendency to create turnovers, to be physical. Yeah, he, he loves the contact of the he, game. He helps create the turnover that wins the USC game <sighs> to get to Diane, right? Yeah. Um, another guy that I, I uh, next year will be on this list going into the season, Gunnar Romney. Gunnar Romney hasn't proven enough to be in this top ten at the moment, but I think that. He needs to be a top-ten player on BYU's team. We don't have a single receiver on this. 
You have a tight end. No, no, no. Receiver. We don't have a single receiver in our top tens. We need a top ten receiver on the team to be a player. Because how is, is it B- Matt Bushman? <laughs> He's a tight end. Yeah, I see what you're saying. How is BYU going to play six power fives, four of which are to start the season, three on the road, and not have one of the top ten players on the team be a receiver? Now you put DHC on there. I, yes. I didn't put a. Re- I didn't put him because I didn't. You didn't include him as a returner, right? But he's got, I, he's got to be a top ten yes, player. Yes, he's this a team. top ten Boy's player on this games. team. Yeah. yeah. So I, I took the liberty of adding him because we didn't really have those parameters that Cam did, where he's like, it's guys that played for BYU last year that are coming back. Devonte Henry Cole is one of the top ten if, football players on this BYU. Team. If Dallin Holker's not going back out, I don't is I I don't know that he's not. Um, but he would be a top ten guy I on this wrote list, his right? Down. I was like, is does he count? We don't know what's going to happen with him. Like there are there are BYU football players back from their missions that haven't gone out yet that could play this year if they didn't go back out, but they are choosing to go back out in, in the most m- most of the cases. Right? I haven't heard of anyone trying to play this year. I would think BYU doesn't have any scholarships anyway, so it'd be kind of hard. I hope that BYU doesn't lose any any guys to this crazy scholarship crunch. I think that'd be awful. Where it's like, oh, that was a good player on another team, but he didn't come here because of this. Wasn't there an issue sort of like with Jake Murphy back in the day with that? He came back and there was some issue um, with understanding with scholarships. He goes to the U and has a nice career. It's like, I don't want that to ever happen. I don't want that to ever happen. I know there, there are different circumstances of guys saying, well, I'm actually going to leave and go here, whatever. BYU benefits from this sometimes, by the way. Taysom Hill comes home. Stanford's like, no, we don't take mid-year enrollees. He's like, what? Like, how did they not talk about that before? I'm out. And then Taysom Hill comes to BYU, and in 2012 is here. Like, BYU benefited from a, yes. a scheduling issue, if you will, academically. I'll tell you what, this practice, if you will, of writing down a bunch of top-level players for BYU, it made me feel better about things. Because I, I just wrote down 20 guys off the top of my head without looking at any roster, and I was like, oh, all these guys are they aren't the, They aren't the issue of BYU football. It's the depth. It's, it's the next level. Yes. Yes, it's depth. the next level because guys get hurt. It's the next level, yeah. Chris Wilcox is another name we yes. brought up. Speed, yeah. Like, yeah, he, sneaky. He's a guy that could sneak into the top ten as well. Yeah, we would do the whole roster, but we would tick off the whole roster. <laughs> That's why we don't do. Who was, Jerem, the best to wear it? As we move on in our count up. Of the greatest athletes at BYU a, to ever wear a given jersey that's number. That's a good point. It's no one ever says it's a count up. We're doing it's a count a up. Count up. It's a and, count up. And we have Go. counted up to the great eight. ESPN the Ocho. It's a man who works at ESPN now. It's Steve Young. It's pretty obvious, right? He played at BYU from 1980 to 83. Uh, reportedly, at one point, was like an eight-string quarterback. You have eight quarterbacks. They had a JV team. So, uh, BYU Hall of Famer, College Football Hall of Famer, Pro Football Hall of Famer. In 1983, which we outlined on Friday, the amazing season, set 13 NCAA records, including throwing for 71.3%. He also completed 71% of his thoughts during the interview Friday. Davey O'Brien Award, Consensus All-American, second in the Heisman. This is the greatest season in BYU history up to this point, until Ty Detmer wins the Heisman. Uh, NCAA record 584 yards a game was a team record. 370 yards of total a game by himself. And maybe more impressively in this conversation, BYU Law degree in the offseason with the Niners, 94. Uh, Super Bowl 29 MVP, Super Bowl record six touchdowns. He carried a 4-0 GPA that's, through all of that. That's insane. <laughs> the only time I carried a 4-0 GPA is when I took the 16 credits of Portuguese test and got it. That was the only time. Three-time Super Bowl champ, uh, played professionally for 15 years. 
In, in the USFL, apparently, he became the first pro football player ever to pass for 300 rush for 100 in a game with the LA Express. Pretty cool, Incredible. right? Incredible. And, of course, uh, ESPN and, and uh, what uh, his uh, financial uh, ventures, uh, venture capitalism after has been crazy successful. ESPN. He's yeah, he's one of the greatest BYU players ever. You could argue he is the greatest. He's BYU player. the most beloved BYU figure, I think. The most recognizable. You keep changing it. <laughs> Stick with the original premise. The most beloved. I, I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is it? Mobbed? Is it recognized? What is it? <laughs> the most revered. I thought it, yeah. What? Yeah. The most honored. Yeah. You just keep. Know. Yeah. I don't know. Beloved. I mean, he's, he's he is absolutely beloved. He's beloved. Yeah. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Uh, let's make the show a little bit better as well and bring in Jonathan Tavernari, who joins us on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline, JT for three, ready to throw some high heat. He's got the 3YU shirt on, too. Yes, like he does. Of course. Nice. Like, it's a perfect match, right? JT, uh, I love your shirt. Hair, need... Hair's looking good. Yeah. You... It's growing back. Okay. How'd you get a haircut in the quarantine, man? Um, I married above my, uh, my, my means. And so, you know, my wife is also, uh, my personal stylist. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Hey, we can use some more optimism right now amidst two months of no sports. Uh, how have you maximized this time? I, you know what? I, I enjoy it. You know, I'm, I'm around my family more and, you know, I get to be around my loved ones. Um, you know, and to be honest, this is something that when we were in Europe, um, we were, we had a lot of downtime, right. But it's not like we could, you know, go tour a whole lot of places because we would have one or two days off and have practice and, and things and so forth and have to get in and take care of, of, of shooting or some treatment or whatever. So, you know, having downtime and, you know, only going to the backyard or going to a park and shoot some hoops with my son or, you know, the, you know, the, the eventual go to a drive through or a takeout. So it's, you know, I think the best part has been spending time with family. So, Yeah, that's been nice for sure. Let's talk about BYU Hoops. So we've been discussing national analysts. Uh, some are in, some are out on BYU in terms of just preseason kind of tourney team, right? Dickie V over the weekend saying, look right. out for BYU. What's your opinion of where BYU will be perceived going into the season, assuming we start on time? Will they be a team that's perceived as a tourney team right away, or will they have to fight their way in? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on Cinco de Mayo. Nothing like having the Brazilian guy, the <laughs> guy on that, you know. So I appreciate that, right? You know, uh, thank goodness for affirmative action, and that was born in, <laughs> in there. I really appreciate it, guys. And, and I'll get to the answer in a minute. But, uh, Jerem, um, outside of eventual 10 that you got when you were in Brazil, what other Mexican heritage do you have? I'm <laughs> my mom grew up time. in Mexico, bro. Okay, my yeah. my grandparents and my great grandparents grew up in Mexico. Got it. Okay. So that's well, legit. Anyway, I, I, that's legit, hey, JT. Right. Yep. So <laughs> hey, thanks for clearing that up, guy. I've so expensed. My bad. But okay. you know, I think that here's the thing. Um, and you know, and I got a little bit of heat by Diz on social media, but um, in my personal opinion, um, the fact that BYU is getting talked about, um, it goes beyond. Uh, Med Harm's quality as a basketball player. And this is no way in shape or form related to 
how good of a shot blocker it is or a presence or this and that. But I think the fact that people are kind of just forgetting about it a minute is Mark Pope went toe-to-toe with Blue Chips program. I mean, he went toe-to-toe with, with Blue Breeds and, and, you know, and just high-quality uh, programs, and he beat them for somebody that he really wanted. And I think that in itself, it's one of the main reasons why BYU is getting so much hype. Now, you know, with the core that they have with Alex and with Connor, um, you know, now that, um, you know, Gavin came back and got his toes wet a little bit, um, I think uh, Kobe is going to be a major factor. I mean, we saw Kobe improve tremendously during the season, right? I mean, let alone what all of this period that he can get in a gym and work out and so forth, what's going to do to that kid? Richard and somebody else that I think is going to have a huge impact. And, and the same thing with Wyatt. Um, along with Travenel, somebody that we, we, we barely got to see it, um, along with some other guys that, um, you know, um, you know, like Wade got hurt, you know, towards the beginning of the season and couldn't play. So I think that that along with, you know, coming this prized selection that, you know, again, Matt Harms, a seven-foot, you know, seven-footer of that magnitude. When was the last time the BYU got one of those? It's been for quite some time, right? Um, and, you know, by no way, shape, or form, um, I think that just adding him to the mix is what puts BYU at that top echelon to be able to be considered a powerhouse or, or, or a national impact. But I do think that, wait a minute, this guy chose to go to BYU instead of Kentucky. You know, that raised some eyebrows. And so um, will they get some national rankings right off the gate? Possibly. You know, I don't see why not. Um, Alex had a tremendous season. So did Connor. And here's the thing. Connor did all of that on probably a knee and a half, right? Because he had his brace and he wasn't hundred percent. And so, um, and let me tell you something, and you guys know how I feel about, you know, being the three point shooter, Trevenel can shoot the rock. I mean, I, he's got a pure stroke and he's got a good rhythm. I think he's going to be really good next year. Um, you know, and so, it, I mean, and again, to have Dickie V say that, you know, watch out Gonzaga. I mean, you know, he does know what he's talking about. But right. what but what do you think he means by that? Because I don't see BYU winning the league over Gonzaga, but perhaps in Vegas? Is that what we're referring to? Again, you know, if you really think about that, BYU was maybe one or two games away from being able to challenge Gonzaga for the, for the WCC regular season. I don't see why not, right? You see the game, you know, there was a game that they dropped. I think it was San Francisco, um, that it was just a, just a tough game. You get situations like that. Um, you never know, right? And I see, and obviously Gonzaga is going to be the number one team, um, you know, probably in the country. And but you never know with these bad breaks. And again, having that nucleus, that 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 core group. I mean, you're talking about Alex. You're talking about Connor. You're talking about Kobe. You're talking about Gavin. You're talking about Trev. You're talking about all of these guys. You literally you can have about five or six players that were around Mark Pope last year and his staff that kind of know what to expect, set the tone. I mean, Alex is going to be definitely, you know, a ferocious leader where up in the morning workouts, hey, do the right thing, do that. And so I don't see why not. Again, um, you know, you guys kind of put me on on the ice box for a week when I said that BYU was going to go undefeated, Um, (laughs) you know. And then, uh, you know, I guess my, uh, you know, my Latin – my Latin friend over here that I just found out today, <laughs> um, he tells, you know, he's like, well, I'm all, all in, you know, uh, you know, things evolve and, you know, things get better. And so I don't see why, you know, BYU can shoot 
to maybe just have you know just one or two losses for the for the regular season and and get into conference with that rhythm because and again I know I'm going a little bit too long but you guys remember that last year as soon as they got in the rhythm I mean that game against Gonzaga at home was unbelievable and so um, I don't see why you know these things couldn't happen. Jonathan Tavernari with us on BYU Sports Nation. Clearly, the dynamic of this team is going to be so starkly different because out go the three-point shooters of Toulson and Hawes and even Yoli Childs, who was shooting almost 50% from beyond the arc, and in comes this insurgence of size. Jeremy and I both feel that BYU needs another ball handler and a scoring guard for BYU to really be in the conversation of, hey, they're going to finish top two in the WCC, and they are a tournament team. Do you feel differently? Do you feel like BYU has enough tools in the shed right now to get it done and not have to bring in an additional guard? Well, and, and that's one of the things that they're looking right now in the transfer portal, right? It's one of the things that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. But, um, you know, it, it, it's an interesting thing because if you look at how do you play a seven-footer, right? I mean, you know, this guy, by all means, he's not so much a back-to-the-basket type of guy, right? So much like Kobe that you can get a bucket. And so you're going to have to figure out a way that you can play in and out. And because again, a seven, three, um, that is something that you need to take advantage of. I mean, how many guys have we seen coming through Gonzaga that are seven, three and that BYU can finally match with them, right? I mean, I can think of my, one of my boys, Zach Collins, you know, from Gorman. And so, but I think that this is something that BYU can take advantage of. The whole reason why I, you know, on the record books, I'm one of the best ever shoot at BYU is because of Trent placed it is because of Chris miles is because of Brendan Davies is because of Noah Hartsock is because of Lee Kamard, Tyler Haas, all of these guys that they played on the post. So they would play in and out in and out. I would pay, I would space out because a lot of times when I played a pick and roll, people would switch on me. And so I think that this is something that with Trevin, with Alex, with Connor, Okay, Um, maybe they got another guy there that can maybe not only be a ball handler, but be a space the floor type of guy like Dalton Nixon flourished last year. Dalton Nixon in the beginning of the season was knocking down threes like, you know, uh, it was just, you know, almost like a a revival of playing in and out, sharing the ball. And so I think that not so much another ball handler as much as it would be the key for how Matt, uh, from how Mark Pope and the boys can develop Matt Harms playing back to the basket so they can play in and out and create mismatches on the perimeter. Okay. So uh, at this point, you're on the tournament train. Have you purchased your ticket? You know, I I don't see why not. And I don't think it's so much as a tournament train as much as, you know, when has BYU consistently been a good? When they have continuation. When they have, you know, underclassmen and then upperclassmen that they can kind of progress. And BYU hasn't had that for a while. You know, and so with everything that happened last year, and again, Yoli being now is a travesty, but, you know, uh, we're not going to talk about the NCAA and, and all of that. And, um, but if you think about the, the, the sequence, the continuation that there is now with, with Alex Barcelo and Connor Harding is going to be a junior and Gavin's going to be a junior. And so you have that continuation of freshmen coming in and then you have sophomores and juniors and then you have your senior leadership again. Obviously, you're not going to have one of the best to ever do it in the program um, in T.J. Hawes and Yoli Childs. You're not going to have, you know, a, a bona fide winner with, with Jake Toulson, but you do have a little bit of continuation. And so I think that guys know what it takes to get there. Um, and again, you know, BYU is not Kentucky, is not Duke. We're not the lens of one and one and done. 
Um, and, and, and I think that when Coach Rose really got consistent um, was when uh, Keeney Young was a senior, I was a freshman, and then I became a sophomore with Lee Kamard, and then Charles Abul came in, and I was a junior, and that, con- and that continued. And Jimmer was a, a sophomore and became a senior with younger guys like Kyle Collinsworth and, TJ- and Tyler Hawes. And so that's when BYU flourishes, when you have that continuation and so forth. JT, thank you for being the resident Brazilian to help us celebrate Cinco de Mayo, man. Great to catch up <laughs> hey, with you. I really appreciate it. Um, hey, uh, Jerem, just so you know, Brazil is not Mexico. You don't speak Spanish down I'm, there. I am muchas well gracias aware. Por tu atención, mi gran hermano Latino. Fuerza México! <laughs> now, Jerem, you know what that means? So, I know you said that you're kind of Mexican now, so I, you know, Yo tengo que inserir esas palabras allí, muchacho. Yep. He has no idea what I said. <laughs> oh, the man of many languages. JT, great stuff, man. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, guys. Have a good one. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. As promised, the hashtag blessed portion (laughs) of BYU Sports Nation, specifically to the BYU basketball coaching staff, and more specifically to Chris Burgess, who was honored as one of the top mid-major assistants. Yeah, and one of the reasons that was given as to why he was being recognized, and there's a lot of reasons why Chris Burgess deserves to be recognized. He's doing a fantastic job, but specifically with his work with the big men, and it's, and it's obviously during the one year so far with BYU and then his previous stop with Coach Pope at Utah Valley, the, the development uh, of the big men at, at the two programs has, has been pretty remarkable, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that Chris is getting the recognition. But honestly, if you look at this coaching staff in one year, just look at everything that in their very first year on the job for BYU they had to go through. They had to go through not thinking you had Yoli Childs. Then you get Yoli. You get Yoli, but then he has to sit out for nine. And then you're dealing with injuries again with Yoli. You're dealing with injuries with Gavin Baxter that you thought you were going to have. Not to mention uh, the, the whole situation um, uh, with, uh, oh, goodness gracious, uh, Zach Selyus in Spain. Thank you. Yeah, with the ankle yes. in, the, in yes. the preseason. You have to deal with all of this in your very first year on the job at a brand-new program, and you have the success that you did. And then you go through a season where you were going to the NCAA tournament. You were going to have an opportunity to prove yourself, and it gets cut short because of circumstances beyond anybody's control – but they're still out there grinding. Optimism. Getting a, a massive transfer in Matt Harms. They're in the market for they're, – they're talking to everybody. You know what I mean? <laughs> Honestly, you, every day there's like so-and-so spoke with BYU. Yeah, it's great. And I, I'm just really impressed with the coaching staff and what they've been able to do in such a short period of time. Uh, no. Wow. It's been uh, unbelievable. And I, Mark Pope loves to use the word relentless. Relentless yeah. effort. And he used it – uh, when he was explaining T.J. Haas in the Deep Blue segment we just showed you, Chris Burgess has that relentless factor. You want to know why BYU is having so much great success with high-level transfers? Oh, by the way, BYU had to replace Nick Emery, too, right. who retired. That's, that's right. And when got Alex Barcelo yep. because of this step. They get high-level transfers because Mark Pope and Chris Burgess lived it, Jason. Mark went from Washington to Kentucky. 
won a national championship, got himself into the NBA. Burgess went from Duke as the number one rated high school recruit in the entire country to Utah and then spawned that into a very successful, lengthy European basketball career. These guys have lived it. So do you think they can relate yes. to this growing number of transfers and high-level transfers and show them what they were capable of doing with Jake Toulson and Alex Barcelo, and now they got Matt Harms to BYU? This is a growing trend, and it's because they have done it and with the relentless effort. Well, and think back to just recently, with whether it's Harms or the, the high school players who have signed already with BYU – most of the conversation in terms of why they came here, certainly there's the X's and O's and, and how your, your game can progress. Every single one of them talked about the relationships they have with the coaches. That that's, that's what sold them. It's wanting to play for these guys. And what you brought up in terms of, of what guys specifically like Coach Pope and, and, and Chris Burgess, and, and certainly not forget Coach Robinson and Coach Feger, and the, the wealth of knowledge that they bring to this. As a collective, these guys can relate. And these guys come in, and they immediately feel a part of it, and they want to be sure. a part of it beyond any of the other stuff. The other stuff will come if you trust the people that you're committing to. And that's what these players are coming in and committing to these, to these coaches because they trust them. They trust them with their lives to a certain degree because you're going to be around them and it, it's you know in a really important time in your life but also your your basketball career is in their hands and they trust them with both yeah the comfort factor of knowing that they did it yeah that they are succeeding with players that are choosing to do it in the transfer yes. portal it, it matters the best of byu sports nation we'll be right back rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Gotta love the Notre Dame hubris. Hey, 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 we're going to be fine. We already have like a partial contract with the ACC. The Irish are scheduled to play six ACC teams already in 2020. Let's just get the other conferences to do a plus Notre Dame scenario, and we can still play our super loaded schedule. Does the Notre Dame hubris of Power 5 Conference plus one scheduling proposal help or hurt a team like BYU, Jason? I, I actually think that it hurts BYU. I, th I think it's bad for BYU. And as we all know, BYU is capable of beating anybody. La I mean, just using last year as an example, winning at Tennessee, beating USC at home that came in as a ranked team. BYU is capable of going anywhere and beating any team. That's not what... A, a team that is going to have to have one the ability to schedule one game. Everything else is going to be conference, and then you have one game to schedule. What kind of team are you going to be putting in on that one? You, you're not going to be bringing in a team that has the capability of beating you. Then why would they bring in Notre Dame? I don't think they are. Uh. I think I don't think no. I think Notre Dame is. I think it's in the exact same situation. I think Notre Dame is getting a little far ahead of itself. I do not see the benefit for these teams that are beating each other up in their own conferences. Let's, I mean, honestly, let's just look at the, at the Pac-12. These teams, do you honestly think that they're going to, with, the, with the, the teams that they have to face, they're going to add a team like BYU? Let's say, let's just for the sake of argument, use Utah as an example here. Utah, you get to keep one of your non-conference opponents. Do you honestly believe they're going to keep BYU on the schedule as the one? And I know everybody out there, oh, that one night in a row, blah, blah, blah. I don't, I don't want to hear it, okay? 
It's like you're playing an FCS team anyway, brother. But do you honestly think that they're going to go through that scenario where they're going to be getting themselves beat up in conference and then pick a team that they can choose to schedule? That they're going to put put a team like BYU on it or a team like Notre Dame on it? No, they're not. These teams in Power Fives are not going to add a team that has the possibility of beating them for their one game that they can control. Well, and who's to say that they even agree to add another game? Exactly. Maybe they're just like, you know what? We're sticking within the conference, so you figure it out. Notre Dame already has six ACC games, so why would they be opposed to scheduling a BYU and then beating up on a team like UConn, and then they play Army, you know? I mean, why, why not? Like, Notre Dame could figure it out even if they weren't the exception of plus one. But... If this does go through, and Jack Swarbrick and Tom Holmo have so many high-level connections, BYU's been independent long enough, and they've been a good sport in independence long enough, that they have good relationships. So if this Notre Dame exception does come into play, I do think it's a good thing for BYU. I don't know if it's going to come into play. I think it's a good thing for BYU because... Most Power 5 conferences view BYU as a Power 5 equivalent when it comes to scheduling. Oh, I agree with that. So if BYU needs to be thrown a bone and they need some help, then there are enough connections there with Tom Homo that it probably could happen if Notre Dame is also being granted that exception. My hesitation is I just don't know that it will happen for Notre Dame if conferences are like, we're... We're hunkering down, That's and we're what, only going to play a conference why, schedule. Why would they add a team like a Notre Dame or, or BYU or any team that is good enough to beat them? Like, the only, the only way I see this... The- Financial reasons, exposure. Hey, Notre Dame, we've got an NBC home schedule. You can come play us and be on NBC. I mean, how... how- lucrative or enticing would a scenario like that be? The conferences, in my opinion, that would be in the mix for doing something like this is the Mountain West Conference, the Group of Five, the American, the WAC. I mean, those are the teams that would be like, well, of course we'll play Notre Dame. Well, of course we'll play BYU. I just don't don't know where the benefit is for a a P5 team to do that right now. Yeah, I I wonder, uh, and it's all, of course, speculation. Because we don't know what's going to happen. I wish we had an inkling of what was going to happen. We don't know if the season's going to be delayed, if it's going to be next spring, if it's going to go off without a hitch uh, and start on time, but with no fans. We just don't know. But what's being discussed right now is conference-only schedules and how much hubris and pull does Notre Dame have to try and get that exception. If they do get in, BYU will ride the coattails. So... I think that it would be a good thing. We'll see if it actually comes to that. Multiple analysts are projecting the preseason hoops uh, next season. Is BYU in? Are they out? Uh, Dick Vitale, oh, baby! Jerry Palm discussing BYU's teams to watch or inside mm-hmm. the bubble. John Rothstein, not in the early 45 uh, for him. Joe Lenardi, BYU not in the bracket going into next year. So... Projecting to the beginning of the season, Spencer, do you think the Cougars will be perceived as in or out? I would lean toward in, mostly based on the flash that last season produced. BYU was one of the most talked about college basketball teams. They had worked themselves out of 
any sort of tournament conversation all the way up to at times as high as a four or a five seed. They were a projected six seed going into the tournament because they had lost to St. Mary's. But the flash was so bright that there will be some of that remaining. Like some shadows have been cast. Jerry Palm has taken notice. And he said, hey, I think BYU is going to be an 11 seed. Dick Vitale. Obviously high on the Cougs, especially with the addition of Matt Harms. Now, Palm said BYU would be an 11 seed before Harms was ever in the conversation. That's interesting. I will be the first to join the happy throng if BYU can secure a capable scoring guard and ball handler in the transfer portal to go along with Matt Harms and join Alex Barcella. They need a scorer and a ball handler. They get that athlete, then I'm all about BYU being on the tournament train. I think that'll be just out. Uh, and that's fine. Who cares what it is at the beginning of the season? It doesn't matter. Uh, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but just for comparison's sake, 1984, BYU started unranked, right? And then you can, After finishing number seven in 83. Right. You can, so that's a complete uh, disrespect to Robbie Bosco and the running backs, which BYU was replacing quarterback and the running backs. Yeah, Steve Young. So it takes a sec. And Gordon Hudson, right? So, yeah, with this team... Uh, we certainly need to see another guy. I think if BYU gets a capable play right away ball handler that can score double digits, I would lean on the BYU's attorney team, right? Yeah. We, there's just so many unanswered questions with the roster, and we don't know those answers, and it's hard to project. Oh, yeah, Connor Harding's going to be this, and, he, and Alex Barcelo, and Gideon George, and they're going to mesh in this way with these guys. It's just hard to know. There's a lot of dudes that haven't played at BYU or haven't played a major role at BYU quite yet. But to me, that's the fun part, the discovery, right? If you only enjoy the hike for the view you get at the top, you don't really enjoy the climb or the descent, right? That climb and descent is a very fun process, and uh, we enjoy that uh, following the team's development and what they did. Like, think about last year, how fun it was to go, oh, my gosh, Yoli Childs coming back, Jake Tilson coming back, Zach Sellius breaks his foot, Yoli Childs gets suspended, you get in the season, buzzer beaters, and now we're going. And then to cap it off with an amazing Gonzaga performance, a disappointing performance in Vegas, and then, ah, the season ends. But we just kind of forget the St. Mary's loss, right? It's just whatever. That's a fun part. So I, I think BYU will be just out, but... I think the constant here, the variable is how will these players mesh? The constant is the coaching staff. And they're going to do a good job and maximize the talents of this team. And that probably feels like BYU eventually gets in. But before the season starts, probably just out because of the unanswerable. Projections are based on what you know. We just don't know a ton about this team yet. It's still clearly Gonzaga and then everybody else, right? And that's nationally in a lot of ways, right? Like. Obviously, there's other teams, but Gonzaga is a preseason number one, not in the league, in the country. So everyone's playing for second every year. Until BYU, Mark Few isn't there. Yes, BYU is still facing their own tyrant in the West Coast Conference. They're El Wapo. <laughs> right? In terms of winning, yes. The Cougars have got to break down the fortress. I'm hesitant to call someone that we might interact with a tyrant. Like at WCC Media Days. Mark Few. <laughs> What Gonzaga does in terms of winning. They dominate. Yes, has principles of that. They just dominate. They're so good. And if BYU clips them once in a blue moon, which they've done, right? What, four times in nine years? Five times? And they most recently got him. So, uh, awesome. They're like, hanging, that's they're good that enough. Over, they're hanging that over, Gonzaga, as we uh, are in the no sports area of life. Yes. Well, Gonzaga went on to win the league in St. Mary's. But, yeah, the last game was BYU. Oh, I'll take what I can that's, get. Yeah. 
That that was an actual victory and a moral victory at the same time. That was an actual <laughs> at the same time. That's crazy. <laughs> okay, so what's the peak for BYU football right now? If if a team like BYU can't get into the playoff and win the national championship, what's the peak for BYU? What's the top of the mountain? Many of you out there are saying beating Utah. Don't don't <laughs> one game. Don't settle on that. Just do not settle on that and we'll address that later in the show. The peak for BYU football right now would be earning a spot as an at large in a New Year's 6 bowl. As unrealistic as that might seem, that has to be the peak, right? That has to be the peak goal. Winning a national championship for me is too much. Yeah, it's Getting in the college football playoff too much. But what if they ran the ta- they're not running the table. They're not. They haven't since 1984. They've only done it one time in program history, and they featured like 78 NFL guys on that team, okay? It's probably not going to happen again. The peak for me is BYU being in the conversation of a New Year's Six Bowl game, and to do so, you probably got to be ranked in the top 12. You absolutely have to win at least 10 games with a harder schedule, and just maybe, Jeremy, you have to go 10-plus a couple of years in a row to even broach that conversation. So that's the peak. I would just like BYU to finish ranked in the top 25. Hey, let's start there. Finish ranked in the top 25 and win 10 games, okay? That's the stepping stone to getting to that conversation of, ooh, is BYU back? Could they potentially play in a big-time New Year's Day bowl game, a New Year's Six bowl game? Yeah, you're right on all fronts. Let's expand. So New Year's Six is the uh, physical possibility, right? You ha- BYU doesn't have any automatic access. A lot of people get confused. Well, they just have to be the best group of five. BYU doesn't have that access. They've chosen to be divorced and independent in college football. They would have to out at large a non-playoff, non-conference champ or fill-in in in, an, in a Power 5 league. Basically, you'd have to out at large like the third best team from the SEC one year. And each year, the at-large spots are di- – there's like – it goes 5-3-1, 5-3-1 or something. So if it's the year where you only have one at-large spot, BYU ain't getting it. Yeah, good luck. Like it'd have to be on the right year, da-da-da. Under the current philosophy and administration that wants to schedule aggressively, BYU will not be in this position ever to be in a New Year's Six. I just don't believe that. If you can't get the most talented kids at Tempview, you're going to have a hard time. You know what I mean? So let's talk about what the realistic peak then is. I believe that the realistic peak is at some point winning 10 games in a season. You just have the right group. You have the right schedule. Enough of those teams stink that you can beat them. And then you're good. Senior and, quarterback in Zach Wilson and, in 2021, maybe. It doesn't. Senior doesn't mean you're good, right? But ho- hopefully they're they're best, right? And and you're healthy, and the schedule lines up, and you win a couple close ones. That's a realistic thing, right? And uh, hopefully it can beat Utah, and that helps you get to 10 wins, right? And then you have that season. I think BYU expected way more of this opportunity early on, and it just hasn't yielded itself to be there because to be relevant, you got to be in the polls, and BYU hasn't. Which brings us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Nine seasons of independence. Uh, BYU hasn't been ranked in the AP or college football polls since 2011, past October 4th of the season. They were ranked in the September 28th poll in 2014. BYU played on October 4th. So technically in any poll that's like happened in October, BYU hasn't even been. So... BYU's been fine at like, woo! Initially, going 2-1 or 2-0 or something, and like, 
let's be honest, 2015, the 2-0 was really lucky, just like two Hail Marys. That's incredibly lucky. And it was awesome. We all know it was awesome. It's just hard. Uh, to get out of the gates successfully and, more importantly, to finish strong, you got to have a strong season. you gotta, you got to avoid injuries. you got to have depth. you got to have the right kind of schedule. In 84, BYU had the right kind of schedule. They didn't play a lot of teams with that, that were that good. But they took care of business. And then everyone said, well, they're the only undefeated. And that's how it works. The stat you just revealed stingeth the nostrils. It does stingeth. It stings. Quite, it's quite pungent. Just... <laughs> I mean, with the difficulty of schedules that are lined up for BYU. By choice. Heck, if the Cougars win nine games, they will probably be receiving votes. Ten games, and for sure they would be right. finishing in the top 25. Receiving votes is nice. It doesn't matter, though. <sighs> they go hand in hand. Double-digit wins, finishing ranked in the season. Yeah, we think if BYU wins ten games, it's, like, automatic. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. We welcome in now a college football insider and writer for The Score, Mark Cooper on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Uh, Mark, you and The Score have been doing a series of the most unlikely and probable champions in each sport. You have the incredible opportunity to write about BYU as the 1984 national champions. Why did you feel like the Cougars were the most unlikely and probable champion of all of college football? Yeah, you know, it's funny. When we started talking about this idea of the most improbable champion in, in the pro sports uh, and, and in the college sports, college football struck me as one of the toughest ones because you look at recent history and, and it's Alabama and it's Clemson. And there really isn't a lot of improbability in, in recent college football. Uh, going going almost all the way back to BYU and and BYU struck me as as the right team both because it's it's not the traditional power and and it was a special season but also because of the unique circumstances of of that BYU team the fact that BYU won a national championship the year after Steve Young was the quarterback and and, and everything that went into that uh, it it was a fascinating season to dive back into because it was one of those years where uh, seemingly everybody found a way to lose except for BYU and 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 BYU took care of business and. Um, celebrated the title with with a team that maybe wasn't as good as the one the year before it. I, I spoke to to David Mills, who caught sixty passes on that team, and uh, you know he even said it didn't have the the first round picks and and the guys that everybody knew, but but it just found a way to win. What did you learn about that eighty four BYU team that you didn't know before doing this piece? Yeah, you know I, I think the just how low the level of expectation. I mean, they weren't low going into the season, but, but maybe tempered a little bit. The team was unranked heading into the year uh, because, because I think about that time and BYU was successful year after year and, and putting out great quarterbacks and, and leading the country and passing offense. Uh, but to go back and, and like I said, I, talk, I spoke to David Mills and, and he talked a lot about leading into that season opener against Pittsburgh. You know, Pittsburgh's a top five team in the preseason and, and BYU's there as, as an underdog and, and kind of how they kind of took that mentality, even though they went 11 and won the year before, they felt like they had a lot to prove. There was a number of guys on that team who weren't the leading receiver, leading rusher the year before. Uh, the fact that that team, despite being so successful the year before and, and ending the season in the top 10, was able to, to kind of create that chip to put on its shoulder and, and enter with uh, kind of something to prove, I, I thought that was really interesting. It is interesting that BYU is the last non-Power 5 team to win a national championship and also the last non-Power 5 school to produce a Heisman Trophy winner. 
with Ty Detmer in 1990. It kind of feels like they're at the forefront of causing some problems for college football or causing shifts for college football. So was it a good thing for BYU to win the national title or uh, more of a bad thing for college football? Yeah, you know, I kind of got into it in the piece a little bit in how uh, you can make the argument that BYU's championship in 84 really kind of started to influence the movement toward the BCS and, and now the college football playoff. And uh, take your pick of, of an undefeated uh, group of five team from the last 20 years, whether it's Boise State or, or UCF or even TCU before they moved to the Big 12 had a couple of big seasons. And, and none of those teams ne- ever really got the chance to play for a national championship. You know, their, their consolation was a Fiesta Bowl or, or something where uh, they'd be considered top 10 at the end of the year, but not top two. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it was a, a good thing to college football. I think it's a good thing. The, the system we have now, I like the idea that, that the teams that are decided to be one and two are going to go against each other at the end of the year. I think that's, that's kind of the one thing that's so different now when you look back at 1980s football is uh, that the fact that the national champions played their bowl game on December 21st and, and found out that they were the champion, uh, you know, 11 days later, in a team meeting, it's, it's so different and, and probably not the right way for it to work. So I, I think that things gravitated in the right direction, though, obviously uh, it would be great if, if there was a system where, where you could really kind of determine the best team, no matter what conference you were in. You know, and that's the interesting part about this. Everybody that will still make arguments as to maybe why they don't believe BYU should have won in 84 will always use arguments that are relevant with today's current system. And you just can't compare, as you mentioned, because they're just two completely different things. And obviously anybody surrounding that argument, if you're on the BYU side in 84, you absolutely believe you you deserve to win the national championship. And those that didn't make it feel strongly the other way. Where do you fall in the argument with everything that was in play at that time? Do you believe BYU deserved to be the national championship in 1984? Yeah, you know, I do. And, and that debate was, was a big part of the story. I, I went back and found uh, in the final week of the regular season, ABC was, was broadcasting the Iron Bowl and, and the Florida-Florida State games. And they actually cr- created a telephone call-in poll asking people around the country to, to dial one number if you think BYU deserves to be number one and, and dial this other number if they don't. And uh, more than 350,000 people called in that day, <laughs> each, each, each thing, you know, they, they charged 50 cents a phone call. So, so they kind of made a bunch of money off of it too. Uh, but, uh, and, and, and the majority, it was a small majority said, said, no, BYU shouldn't be number one, which uh, you probably expect because the majority of people calling in probably weren't BYU fans. Uh, but I think that that season was so unique that, that yes, they deserved it. Every, everywhere you look, whether it was Nebraska or it was Oklahoma or even South Carolina, uh, they all stumbled somewhere along the way. And, and you have to give BYU credit for, for not doing that. Uh, they, had, they had a quarterback who was in, in consideration for the Heisman and had a big year. Uh, and I think that BYU's success in the years prior probably helped them with voters because they weren't just a one-year wonder. I think voters knew, all right, this is a good program. This, you know, Even though they didn't play the schedule, other teams did. This, this is a team that's proven in the past they can win big games. And so, yeah, I think that was a – a unique year and, and, and maybe BYU, that team was lucky a little bit to be in 1984. Some other seasons, they might not have had the chance to be number one, but in that season alone, they deserved it. Mark Cooper, college football insider and writer for the score with us on BYU sports nation. You're absolutely right. It was a slow build for BYU starting with Gifford Nielsen in 1977. The Cougars won 11 and one in 1979 with Mark Wilson. Then the McMahon years, they lost one game in 80, one game in 81, 82. They had four losses with Steve young, but they bounced back and finished number seven in the country. Country, losing just one game. So uh, what we are gathering is it takes a lot 
to put yourself in position as a non-Power 5 school to even be in the conversation. Mark, could this ever happen again for a team like UCF or Boise State or Gulp if BYU has a few magical seasons? I, I, I think it's going to take an expansion of the playoff, honestly. And, and, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we reach a day where the playoff is eight teams and, and there's an opportunity for a Boise or a BYU or UCF to get in there. But I kind of think we saw it with Boise, you know, really a decade ago. They, they had sustained success, uh, you know, similar to the level that BYU did in, in the 70s and 80s, where they were on the cusp of being undefeated every year. And they scheduled really well. You know, they played Georgia. They played Virginia Tech. Boise State did all they could to, to really put themselves on the national stage. Uh, and, and still, you know, their peak was, was playing in a BCS bowl. It wasn't being one of the top two or three teams at the end of the season. And so I still think that, that it's going to take uh, an 18 playoff because I think that we've seen, you know, UCF a couple of years ago, if you have an 18 playoff, I don't know how you keep them out of it. And, and that's all it takes is a chance, you know, going, going back to the 1984 BYU team. That's one of the things they, they heard the criticism all year long of their schedule and all they wanted to do was have a chance to play a Washington or an Oklahoma. You know, they, they would have loved the chance to step on the field against them and, and never got it. And, and I think that's, that's kind of what it's going to take is, is an expanded playoff to where you can't keep an undefeated team like that out. When is it most likely for the playoff to expand? What, what's the timetable for all of this? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and I wonder uh, if this sort of pause in the sports world is, is going to uh, make people consider that a little more strongly. I, I mean, I don't think we're, I think we're less than a decade out, honestly. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of the conference deals start to expire later this decade. Uh, TV deals get renegotiated. That's, that's kind of the time where things are going to have to, uh, you're going to have to take a hard look at it and, and decide whether you want to go from four to eight. Um, and it's also maybe going to take some of the results on the field. You know, I feel like we, we hear a little bit more chatter about it from different areas of the country, depending on which conferences are excluded from the playoff. And, uh, you know, if there's ever a year that the SEC misses out on the playoff for one reason or another, I imagine you'll hear an uproar from one area of the country saying, all right, we need a larger playoff. It, 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 I, but I do think it's, it's on the horizon uh, later this decade, I, I would expect. Mark, I want to go back to something you said just a second ago. And you said the answer probably 10 years ago was Boise State, that they were the team best poised to, if anybody was going to do it, to be able to do what BYU did in 84. So as of today – realizing that it is still a long shot with the current system. What team today in college football is in that position to maybe be that team that could break through? Yeah, I kind of lean toward UCF simply because they've had so much success recently, obviously, that they lost a couple games this past season. Uh, but, But they're coming off a great run of success. The fact that they're in Florida, I think, helps them a little bit. And, and the, the American Athletic Conference, to me, is, is getting a little bit stronger every year. You know, Memphis has had a really good run. Cincinnati's been really good under Luke Fickle. That's, that's turned into a pretty strong conference, um, you know, certainly uh, the sixth strongest conference. And, and you could probably take certain divisions in the Power Five and, and say, you know, the American could go toe-for-toe with divisions, you know, maybe not the entire conference. Uh, so I would kind of lean toward UCF simply because uh, they play in the top conference that that isn't in the power five right now. And, and they've had some success and, and regionally it would work out for them. Um, you know, they're a large school, whether they can sustain it, we'll see. I think this, these next couple of years are going to be big for them to prove that uh, they can continue to do it after Scott Frost is gone. And, and after they lose some of their playmakers who guided their undefeated year. Mark Cooper, college football insider with us on BYU Sports Nation. Mark, you have written for a number of different publications and you told us uh, 
that before you used to work in Oklahoma and you covered the Big 12 and you were around all that hullabaloo when the Big 12 was thinking about expanding and BYU was in the conversation. Every BYU fan wears the blue goggles to a degree and thinks, hey, we belong as a Power 5 team. What was uh, the reception of that idea in Big 12 country when it was happening towards BYU? Yeah, I mean, for a long time there, it felt like expansion was inevitable for the Big 12, right? It, 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 it was just a question of who and uh, you know, I remember every year we'd go, we'd go down to, to Dallas for Big 12 media days, and, and that'd be the first question Bob Bolsby would field is, is where do you think stand with expansion, and and you know what do you think of Houston, what do you think of Memphis, what do you think of Cincinnati, what do you think of BYU, uh, and and I think now we're at a point where the Big 12 doesn't have a need to expand. You know, they've they've really kind of uh, they've, they've grown their digital product and, and what they're doing with ESPN Plus now, and uh, I, I think the Big 12 seems to be on more stable ground than maybe it was. Uh, back in 2014 when, when they missed, missed out on the very first playoff and, and everybody was kind of very concerned. You know, I think Oklahoma's played a big role in that. The fact that uh, you know, OU went through a little bit of a lull there uh, maybe a decade ago, and, and now they're at a point where they, they're winning the conference every year and in the playoff. Uh, but for a while there, I thought BYU was, was among the top teams to, to join the Big 12 simply because of the fan base and, and the history, the fact that there's a national championship on, on BYU's resume. It's uh, a, a school that's that's good in basketball too. I, there were there were a number of things to like about BYU, uh, and and then kind of the door closed where the Big Twelve realized, okay, they they can make do with ten games for a while. Mark, great stuff, man. Uh, the article was fantastic. Always fun to relive uh, just how improbable and unbelievable that was for BYU, and we appreciate the time, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. You got it. Mark Cooper on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline via Skype or rather Zoom. Deseret First, you know why we show how. By the way, thank you so much for allowing us to discuss Big 12 expansion. You know I had you in (laughs) mind when I asked that that question. I just want you to know how much I appreciate it. Thank you. You're on the show. We have to ask one, at least one BYU to the Big 12 question. And and I, I thank you for it. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Hey, let's play Dope or No. Presented by Bodyguards, protection for a life worth living. Learn more at Bodyguards.com. Jerem, number one, Dope or Nope? The 1980 Miracle Bowl and 1998 Liberty Bowl in ESPN's list of most influential games in the college football spread offense era. Well, one of them is dope because BYU's loss doesn't matter. Uh, but the 1980 game, yeah, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. Dope. Uh, B- we know that BYU was the best at doing this early on. BYU wasn't the only team to be passing early. There were other teams. But BYU did it the most consistently with a bunch of different quarterbacks with the same coach. Yes, they revolutionized it and the consistency of it. And they won, they won with it. Like other teams have passed but not won a ton of games. BYU won with it. They yeah. won a national title with it. If BYU weren't on this list somewhere, then it would be weird. Yeah, that'd be weird. I, I would I would pick a game earlier on, like a Gary Shetty game or a Virgil Carter game, by the way. Virgil Carter put up like 500 passing yards in a game in like 65. That's the game I would have put in. That's was crazy, he, right? Was he the first? He doesn't get. I have an hour's worth of thoughts on this. First quarterback All-American at BYU, Virgil Carter. I don't think he was an All-American. Because Eldon Forte was the first All-American. I think Max Warner in 34 actually was. Oh, that qualifies. Okay. Yeah, like, that's one list. Anyway, we could I go all day with this. But, yeah, Virgil Carter, I think, should be listed as the first great quarterback at BYU. Okay. 
Okay, next one. Isaiah Kafusi, 12th on the PlayStation Player Impact rating list based on the team's performance when he's on and off the field. Essentially a plus-minus. I didn't know football had a plus-minus. This came out January 18th. I just noticed it yesterday. Isaiah Kafusi was 12th. Okay, that's dope. Uh, I also think the institution of a plus-minus in football as another statistic would be fun. Right. Yeah. This is born of hockey, uh, hockey stat, right? When you're on, how many goals does the team score and, and allow? Points, turnovers. And then that is spread into other, uh, you know, other sports. Basketball used it a lot more now. Hey, not surprising because Kafusi found himself in the middle of several big turning point plays last season. Yeah, yeah this is cool. Yeah, I think it's dope. I think Isaiah Kafusi is a good player. We ranked the top 10 yesterday. and he, He's in it. He was on Clearly. the list. He was on the list. All right, Jaron, number three. The NFL making their 2020 season schedule announcement a primetime event. NFL Network live Thursday night at 8 Eastern. I think it's dope from an entertainment standpoint. We don't have a lot of live anything going on. If you're watching Korean baseball, you've entered a certain level of boredom, right? Perhaps you already loved it before. but it, you Lotte know, Giants. Like, like, no judgment. We don't have anything, right? So I, I say dope. The NFL is trying to speak this into existence, if you will, right? Yeah, we're going to play. We're going to play. We're going to figure it out. Like, we'll figure it out. And I think that's an encouraging attitude given a worldwide pandemic. Yes, I love that they're making this a live primetime event. Football fans are super thirsty for anything. Give it to them. Make it an event. The draft was so successful. Why would you not make the schedule announcement a primetime event? And I can see the argument for, hey, you're being very naive. This is a serious situation. They, they, they're not saying they're playing. They're just pushing as if it's going to happen and then when it's not you push it back yeah this is the optimistic take and for what it's worth the nfl has 32 teams and the capability and financial backing to play the season without fans if that's what it comes to they could do this they could isolate and figure it out they have the money to to test and do all that stuff super complicated i know but they could do it the moment someone tests positive then what that whole team's out for two weeks and the opponent because they interact. With, I, it's just really hard, and it's not just well, the teams. You're talking it's the about trainers and the. What if what if a majority of the team already has the antibodies and they're okay? Have we quantified who has the antibodies? Well, they're yet? starting to do that. The that's, antibody test is, is happening more and more rapidly. So. But it's, it's my like, point is the NFL is rich enough to do all that. It's testing. just so complicated. Okay, uh, you guys have the antibodies over here. Oh shoot, our quarterback doesn't. Um, you have to. Oh man, uh, we got to play the. Back. It's just really weird. Okay, more uh, R.I.P. of the. RPI. Women's basketball dropping RPI for the net moving forward. Dope, 100%. Is there anything that's not dope on this list? It's about time that women's basketball embraced what men's basketball is doing for the last few years. The net is clearly a better metric than the RPI. Yes, this is dope. Yes, the net takes into more uh, more things into account. Here's, here's the thing with net that's nice. Uh, it's a good sorting tool, but the metrics that men's hoops use is like, Ken Palm and Sagarin and ESPN BPI, those don't exist completely in women's hoops, and that's a minor issue in this process. I think net is a good starting point, but there's not people evaluating women's hoops the same as men's basketball for whatever reason, and uh, I think that will complicate this a little bit. But this is a a nice step in the Absolutely. All right, final one. More blue in the Marriott Center. Oh, this is great. BYU Tickets tweeted out yesterday the fact that they're replacing – the benches in the upper bowl with blue benches. So the tan seats are still going to stay, stay, you see, in the upper left. Like, I would love for those to go blue at some point as well. All tan needs to eventually. All tan just go away. Just, yes, be yeah. done. But this is dope. Again, uh, great step in the right direction. Um, we need to get rid of tan. <laughs>
Tan's the worst. What do you think? I'm, I'm totally with you. Yes, no tan. Do you remember? We okay. raised the money to get rid of any tan left in the Marriott Center. Do you remember a few years ago when the BYU quarterbacks still had the tan jackets yes, for some the reason? Yes, with the tan You and I were like, whoa, 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 what are those? What are those? Yeah, that was weird. Quarterback jackets were like 15 years old. Time for the best to wear it. We started at zero, counting up. It's a count up through 99. Yep. Today features the great number nine, Jim McMahon, Jerem. Jim McMahon, one of the greatest punters in BYU history. Fun fact, he did punt uh, early in his career. Obviously a great quarterback, in my opinion, the greatest quarterback to watch for BYU tight end number two, Steve Young number three. He passed for 9,536 yards in his career, which at the time was the second most of anybody in college football history. Fourth at BYU today. His 46-27 of total low in 1980, second at BYU all-time to Ty Detmer's 5,022 and 90. 84 passing yards, third at BYU. He threw for six or more TDs in three different games, only Cougar to do that. 47 touchdowns in 1980 was an NCAA record for 10 more years until David Klingler threw 54 in 1990. And to this day, his 47 touchdown passes in 80 is 13th all-time. He won the Davey O'Brien, Sammy Baugh, third in the Heisman, fifth in the Heisman. Fifth pick, tied for highest in BYU history with Ziggy Ansah, College Football Hall of Famer, BYU Hall of Famer. He broke 75 records over the course of his career. <laughs> That's 75? Insane. Like, that can't happen again. <laughs> I don't care how good you are. Like, what he did when he did it was unbelievable. I don't think Austin Colley ever takes a backseat to anybody at BYU Unless it's this conversation, yeah. and who was the best to wear number nine? Because Honorable Austin mention. Colley, we think, is the GOAT of BYU receivers. He is. He had the greatest stats of anybody through three seasons. Uh, Cody Hoffman, amazing receiver as well, had four seasons, so he tops Austin in yeah, a Yeah, what categories. would Austin's numbers have been had he stayed all in four nine? years? Oh, goodness. Okay, 08 is the greatest receiving year in BYU history by an individual. 106 catches, 1,538 yards, which led the nation, by the way. 15 touchdowns. Of course, the memorable 4th and 18 catch against Utah in 07. He's top three in BYU history in catches, receiving yards, TDs. Only three years, as mentioned. Fourth round pick to the Colts. Played in 09. Played in Super Bowl 44. He would have had one of the best non-quarterback careers in the NFL, but concussions got him. And he played with the Patriots, with Tom Brady, and got to uh, a championship game that year. And obviously with Peyton Manning early in his career. I'm so sad for Austin that he didn't get a full NFL career because there was a season, I want to say his second or third year with the Colts, where he was leading the country in all the the country, I mean the NFL, yes. in all of the major receiving categories. He was crushing it, and he is the GOAT at receiver at BYU, no question in my mind. Yeah, his second season, talk about like they taking that sophomore leap. Good grief. I mean, playing with Peyton Manning helps, but you still got to execute. And it's one thing to – be like, oh, yeah, he's a good receiver. It's another to have Peyton Manning say he was a really good receiver. Right, and Colley, of course, has some history. Uh, his dad played here in the 80s. His older brother, Zach, played. Dylan played, went to Hawaii, came back. So the Colleys are the first family of receivers at BYU. You can talk about the Domans, right? Uh, Brandon plays quarterback, but there's Cliff and a bunch of guys that ended up playing receiver. That's that's wide receiver family at BYU, yeah. I think. Some yeah. of you are like, well, wait, how did Austin wear number nine if Jim McMahon has his number retired? McMahon didn't have number nine retired. Until he graduated from BYU. Until 2014. Which was 2014, and that was yeah. a terrible night. That's the night Taysom Hill got hurt. Which one? 2014 against Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook 
using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. We welcome in the head volleyball coach at BYU, Sean Olmstead, on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline via Zoom. Sean, it's always nice to see your smiling face on BYU Sports Nation. <laughs> it's always nice to be here. As much as uh, I would uh, rather be there present with you guys, give you guys a big hug, talk about shoes and different things, but uh, <laughs> I'm just happy to see you guys and thank you guys, honestly, for keeping the show going and keeping people entertained through, through everything. It really means a lot, all you guys do. Well, thanks. And I misspoke earlier. I was thinking today was Friday in my head. Today would have been the national semifinal, Sean. Are you, semifinal. Are you yeah. thinking about that stuff, or have you tried to push it out because, uh, because naturally that might uh, hurt emotionally? No, I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I get these reminders on my phone because calendars, and, and you set up your phone, and I get these notifications. And, uh, um, you know, so here's the notifications and we got there's this match or that match just that have been scheduled, not 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 to get too far ahead of ourselves. But those things have occurred and it did it, it especially happened with matches that we did have scheduled, you know. And so it's like, oh, we're going to be playing and I'll get some notifications from friends that are in California, actually, that put in their calendar. Hey, BYU <laughs> at USC or BYU at UCLA. And, you know, it's just. Uh, you know, it's, it's something we can think of. And, you know, it was, it was a good run by the guys for sure. Well, since you've had a little bit more time at home and I know you want to be back at work and be around your guys and the facilities, uh, but perhaps you've had more time to work on your second passion, Sean, which is, uh, running a sub three hour marathon. (laughs) How close (laughs) are you to that? No, I'm not close to that. I'm just, uh, (laughs) I, I, I love running. I love what it does for me, uh, for myself, spiritually, puts me in a good place, makes me a better dad, makes me a better person, coach. And so uh, I have been uh, spending a lot of time in the mountains and it's uh, every day I get to get higher and higher in elevation because the snow's melting. And so uh, I'm just a little a month away from my first, uh, we'll get a 50 miler in uh, at Squaw Peak with one of my better friends. He's coming down from Oregon to run it with me. And uh, on my wife's 30, uh, on her birthday, on May 30, uh, 30th, we're going to be running 37 miles down in Bryce Canyon. So that'll be two weeks before the 50. And uh, yeah, so we're excited that those plans are still in place. <laughs> did, you, did you have to look at your watch to remember your wife's birthday? No, uh, I, throughout my marriage, I can openly <laughs> admit, and I tell my guys to try to teach them. I've forgotten our wedding anniversary. I've forgotten her birthday. Uh, I've forgotten Valentine's Day. Valentine's kind of out the door, but I have missed our wedding anniversary, her birthday, through the course of our marriage. Not all in one year, but uh, yeah. If it was all in one year, there might might not be a marriage, right? Yeah, no, there isn't. But uh, I I just like to keep myself healthy, my mind, my body, my spirit, and – yeah, I've had more time, but also it's been it's been nice to be around my kids, and I've tried to embrace that and do all that I can here at home while we're while we're here at home, and still keep up with the the duties we have with our job. Let's talk about uh, obviously unfinished business. We'll tackle twenty twenty uh, tomorrow, but tomorrow is the sixteen year anniversary of the two thousand four national championship, 
And this yeah. is one of the craziest games in BYU history. You're down 10-6. First, first off, how do you go from losing the first set 30-15 to then winning 30-18? That's a wild swing, right? And then yeah. Yeah. You, you're down 10-6 in the fifth, and you win 19-17. And Long Beach State had three match points. And I imagine yep. senior libero Sean Olmstead sitting there going, I got to pass this baby right now, right? Um, that, that was a wild game. Unbelievable game. And we had played that team, Long Beach State. We had played them. That was the fourth meeting that year. And I remember in every press conference, every media interview before that, we had beat that team both times on the road down in Long Beach State. And then at Provo in the MPSF, I think the finals. And so we'd won three and everybody just kept, every question was the same question. You know, in sports, it's really hard to beat a team you know, three times in a row and four times in a row, they kept asking the same question. And uh, I just kept going back to, I actually believe there was something to the uh, fact that they felt that when we started to score points, they didn't know what to do. That's why that lead at 10-6 and 12-9, it was almost like, oh, crap, here we go again. They've already beaten us three times. So I, I actually kept looking at it. And in those re- interviews, I would say the same thing, like, Hey, we've got the upper hand. We're comfortable beating these guys. We're gonna go, we'll go do it again. And uh, I remember one of my teammates. It was a timeout at about twelve nine. It was our last timeout. And I and I can admit, I'll admit something that maybe not not many people have heard before. We went to the bench like twelve nine, and I looked at my our mean our middle blocker Mike Burke, and I'm like, oh crap, man. Like, what are we gonna do? And he just laughed at me. And if you know Mike Burke, it's his personality. He said. Ah, oh, we're good. We're fine. We're not good. It's 12 9. This, this match is going to 15. And sure enough, though, you know, just that was our team, though. If you remember that team, Jerem, man, when our backs were against the wall, those we scored points. And that was that was the entire season that year. And I really believe that helped us, you know, uh, get in that position and be in that moment. Unbelievable stuff. Uh, we could spend an entire hour talking about the 2004 season. We unfortunately have to go to break. We could spend the, like, we're going to spend all day tomorrow with you, right, in unfinished business. Yes. But, uh, yeah, 04, what a, what a, what a match. So. Sean, it's yeah. uh, great to catch up with you, man. Can't wait for things to come uh, and what BYU Volleyball is going to do in 2021. In the meantime, stay safe. We wish the best to you and your family, and uh, hopefully we'll see you on campus very soon. Hopefully. Thank you guys again for everything. Always, always. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. All right, time for the best to wear it. We have counted up today to number 11. Who was the best athlete at BYU to ever wear the double number ones on their jersey? Okay, we're going to tell you who the best is, and then an honorable mention that was close. The best to wear number 11 is Shauna Robach, soccer. She was so good. 95 to 98, scored 94 goals. 94 goals, which brings us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. A second stat of the day? That's right, two. Love it. Not one, but two. Shauna Robach's 94 goals are eighth in NCAA history. Still, okay? Um... It's 38 more than the next closest in BYU history, by the way. Sarah Reading, Reading. Uh, 35 goals in 96 is third most in a single season all time. 
She is uh, an amazing player. So after BYU, she gets into the bobsled, two-person bobsled, in 06 Olympics in Italy. She takes the silver medal. Shauna Robach. Uh, she ends up getting two silvers, three bronze in world championships as well. Whoa. And in May, two years ago this month, President uh, Trump appointed Robach to be a member of the Council on Sports, Fitness, and Nutrition. So Shauna Robach, number 11, the best wear. Those are unreal numbers. 94 goals. So good. I interviewed Shauna one time up in Park City near the uh, bobsled track. It was awesome. Really fun. It was great. Hey, rep in number 11 at the highest level. Now, we do have a very, very high-level honorable mention who just so happens to be an Olympic medalist multiple times himself. Kreshemir Chosich. Oh, man. His number is retired. It hangs from the rafters in the Marriott Center. The 6'11", silky smooth point forward from Zagreb, Yugoslavia. Oh, look at these highlights, dude. This is great. This is great. I haven't seen these. Crash. Oh. oh. Okay, let's talk about him. Let's talk about him. He. We could have him. We could do co on this. Like, look how full the Merit Center is. Yeah, this well, is the first the year or two. Co. Co number 11. Um, in three seasons, he couldn't play as a freshman in NCAA rules until 72-73. Chris Mirchosich puts up 19 a game, almost 12 boards, shoots 49%, 79% from the free throw line. He didn't have a three-point line, right? Perhaps the original point forward in history. UPI says he's the first international All-American to uh, uh, ever, right? He's uh, When he graduated from BYU, he w- led in points, shots made, free throws made, rebounds. He's 18th in points, 4th in boards. Good grief. At BYU, he gets baptized by Hugh Nibley. Later, he translates the Book of Mormon into Croatian and Doctrine and Covenants, by the way. He later becomes uh, the ambassador to the U.S. for Croatia. Uh, Yugoslavia and that, the, the nations change. He ends up dying of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma 25 years from May 25th this month. Mm. And uh, he had such an influence on, on his home. Uh, you know, Yugoslavia ends up winning the silver in 76, gold in 80. He's the best player. In his hometown of uh, Zadar, um, they have a, a statue of him outside an arena. The arena is named after him, and the Croatian Basketball Cup is named after him. And you, he has a huge influence. I have an agenda item to inform the younger generation, myself for one, and those younger than me, about how good this guy was. And he, everyone knows him to this day. You had yes. an experience recently. Yes. So I take an Uber home from the Salt Lake City Airport late. I mean, it was after midnight. A flight was delayed, got in super late. This is a couple months ago? Yes. Yeah. And I get in the car, and I am speaking with uh, a guy who had moved from Yugoslavia, Croatia, that area, when they were going through their wars and all of that really, really serious turmoil. He got out of there and uh, immigrated to the United States. I brought up the fact that I worked at BYU and was in sports, and he got so excited when I mentioned Kreshmir Chosich. And we spent the remainder of the drive home talking about Kreshmir Chosich and the impact he had on basketball for that country and for Europe and just what a great guy he was. And my Uber driver was not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, still not to this day, but he talked about Kresh and what an upstanding human being he was and what a representative he was for the church. And Pretty so, awesome. I mean, it just really Everybody hit home. Everybody knows him there. It really hit home. Yes. He's the only BYU player in the Basketball Hall of Fame. The only BYU player. How about that? Co-number 11s. Yeah. Shauna Roebuck, Kreshamir uh, Chosen. I smell a future episode where we break him down even more. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. 
Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio. BYU.